All right, we're geared up. Ready to go. Got my, uh, Michael, Michael secret stuff. Okay. Uh, what do you have? What do you wear in there? Charlotte uh, yeah. Bobcats? Yeah, Charlotte warm-up shirt. How about that? Yeah, my, mm-hmm. my dad got this for me for a Christmas present back, I don't know. I was probably in, was probably in middle school. And this thing still fits. One, because I was chubby back in the day. Mm. And also, yeah, so I was chubby. Plus, these things fit big anyway. So I've mm-hmm. still been able to rock it. And, like, I don't I don't have that shame with the Bobcats, right? Like, they weren't good. You have to live with that joke, though, Doug. Like, if you were a fan of the Bobcats, which I was, I, I did not go away from the team when the Hornets left. I tried to stay as true as I could. And I was a fan. And we can look back and we can make those jokes, but I definitely, I definitely will sport the Charlotte Bobcats and some of the shirts that I still have to this day. Well, it's good that I have you on here because you will mm-hmm. need to balance it out because I was not a fan of the <laughs> yeah. Charlotte Bobcats. If you haven't been able to tell already, uh, it is uh, our turn to go into the Bobcats era, the third of our five eras that we've separated all of the Hornets box scores into uh, the the Bobcats. The third era is called the Bobcats, and it goes from 2004 <laughs> through the 2000, and I'm going to say 2010, 2011 season. I think that's the final season in that grouping. So we're going to get to that. Uh, I am repping the only Bobcats thing that I own, which is this 30th anniversary shirt that features. Which isn't even a Bobcats thing, by the way. It has a Bobcat on it. It's got Gerald right. Wallace and a Bobcat jersey on it. So that counts. Yeah, um, no, it, it that that's the joke, right? Like, it's just that this is a, a shirt of celebration, 30 years of Charlotte basketball. There is a decade, more than a decade, where there is the Bobcats and we have kind of one thing to celebrate and, I, and i'm glad they did that by the way put gerald wallace on it because he's completely deserving but right like that's that's the point but i also am wearing a hat that uh, is celebrating the 1995 ncaa final four in seattle and it has a un it's on this side it has a unc pin on it which i think is a tribute to the charlotte bobcats who were known uh, to bring some unc talent which mm-hmm. by the way Okay. We get we get on the Charlotte Bobcats and and a lot of people get on Michael Jordan in general uh, for early on you know bringing a lot of UNC players onto the team obviously Felton and May during that second year draft being the primary example there but in doing my research for this show uh, that's not exclusive to Michael Jordan George Shin was very well known for bringing in ACC talent in fact he told his draft staff at the time his his instructions were if you find two players who are running in a dead heat with one another take the acc player yeah business decision clearly jr reed jr reed was a draft failure for that early hornets team uh and it was a lot of people were saying well they drafted him because he went to carolina and they needed some early uh, ACC players to, you know, put butts in the seats. Well, and remember, we revisited, in fact, the first episode we did recently, I guess, in this kind of reboot to it after we took a break, like we did the whole Armin Gilliam conversation. Mm-hmm. And they part of the reason, at least they stated, trading Armin Gilliam was to give J.R. Reed more minutes. Never worked out for him, clearly. But right, like that was that was a plan. Yes, helping them make that decision was business because people are going to get behind the Tar Heel in the state of North Carolina. Also, yeah, tried to give him an opportunity. And he would bounce around here and there. 
But this is not about J.R. Reed. This is not about the Hornets who left and broke my heart and and as a result uh, turned me off from the NBA. This is about an exploration of the Bobcats. I think we're going to hear from the founder of Rufus on Fire, the blog around the Charlotte Bobcats. We're going to hear from him in these next two episodes uh, because he's going to give us some insight into uh, what the Bobcats were like in these first few years. And then he's going to talk about uh, the 2010, uh, the 2010 plus era that we'll deal with in the next episode. Uh, so that's David Arnott, by the way, he founded Rufus on fire. So we'll hear from him in a bit, but first Walker, we have to go to the bees machine, Mm -hmm. this machine that we've created specifically to select random box scores. Yes. We could have gone online and found one of these wheels to spin. That's right. They make these things, but they, they couldn't hold they couldn't hold over 2,500 box scores featuring featuring some of the best professional basketball within the city of Charlotte. <laughs> they could not have done that. You know, the, the Dowd had to have shown some better basketball. Every, like, I even maybe go to the Dowd. But to your point, they weren't getting paid for those games, at least not by a higher up. So, yeah, like, I guess that still rings true. Couldn't have featured the drama. Couldn't have featured uh, the nepotism sure. that was the Charlotte Bobcats and Charlotte Hornets. So we, we built a machine called the Bees Machine, and we go to it now to select an, a, a box score from the original bobcats era and i have a knob here the jimmy and mm-hmm. this selects our box score here we go pulling the jimmy in the midst of a purple haze i can't wait to see what takes place with the bees machine doug but be careful i, I look I, I feel like you're too reckless man you yourself keep telling us how powerful this thing is and you're just shaking that guitar please be careful okay i've got it all right um, I built an else. I built a little LED screen in it. It doesn't print out any. It uh, doesn't print out on paper anymore. It's it's really about it's really about the environment. Um, it's it's. I don't want to waste any more paper. So uh, the it's LED screen. Yeah. I know. You know. I mean. You know. It's, it's we're trying to we're trying to save the environment here on this show. So uh, the LED screen is telling me that it has selected a game from March eighth, two thousand and six. The Golden State Warriors at the Charlotte Bobcats. Wow, these are not these are not your uh, typical Warriors, though. I'll just <laughs> tell you right off the bat, these are two teams going at it that are not in very good shape in 2006. That's true. They were your typical Warriors, though. Like that's true. Th- th- this this has changed big time. It is funny. Like this is not. This is not your son or daughter's Golden State Warriors, but this is your father's Golden State Warriors, the the team that would lose to the Bobcats. As you see, scrolling past the final score, they would lose this game 104 to 101 to Charlotte. One of the, yes, 17 victories at the time <laughs> late in the season for the Bobcats. Yeah, 17. So we're at 2006. We're in in March of 2006, which means we're at the end of the 2005-2006 campaign, the second campaign for the Charlotte Bobcats. And uh, Walker, um, things are not going well for the Charlotte Bobcats in their second season. I mean, things, you know, let's talk about generally where the Bobcats are as a franchise, okay? You know, they obviously they left in 2002 to go to New Orleans and it broke the city's heart. But at the same time, the city rejected the franchise, really rejected George Shin, said, we're not going to build you this uptown arena. We don't want to do it. 
And then the NBA comes back a few years later and says, actually, Charlotte, we'd like to give you a franchise. There's this person, Robert Johnson, uh, used to run BET, and he would like uh, to put an ownership group together, and we want to give a team to Charlotte once again because North Carolina is a bastion of college basketball. They love basketball so much. We have to have a team in Charlotte. So in 2004, they get this new team. They build an uptown arena, which, again, the voters had already voted down, but the city somehow did an end around and got this arena built. And uh, they played in the Coliseum in year one, but now here we are in year two, and they've built this fancy arena. Not many people going to this arena, Walker. Uh, You want to know why? Why is that? Because after season one, of the Charlotte Bobcats where they played in the Charlotte Coliseum, the the franchise raised season ticket prices anywhere from 25% to 100%. (laughs) For this product too, the audacity (laughs) to to start an expansion team and then raise ticket sales because, like, read the room too. You you think, is the thinking that the, the... fan base or the audience the city of charlotte was so starved for a franchise that they would just pay anything like this is a team that got so mad they weren't going to the last games of the charlotte hornets before you brought the bobcats and yet they thought that would be a good business model you know Uh, it it wasn't it turned out not to be it was not and it's not the only thing that was going wrong for the bobcats uh c-set which was a television network that they started to carry bobcats games and so I want you to really absorb yeah. what I'm telling you. They started a, a cable network called CSET. And, and because, I mean, this sort of makes sense if you think about the guy who owns the team, who named the team after himself, even though he denies that, uh, Robert Johnson was a TV guy. And so they started this cable network, but nobody could find it. And, 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 and it was very difficult to get access to. It was called CSET. Well, that went completely belly up. So this team had no TV contract in its second season. They raised those ticket prices, as I said, into an uptown arena that people, the city generally didn't embrace and had, by the way, building an arena uptown, that's just going to get in everyone's way. So it probably just made everyone who went to work in uptown upset because of all of the construction, right? These damn bobcats. <laughs> they didn't even ask for this. Well, so that's the reaction, though. So in doing research for this, I was looking through some of the conversations that were happening before this season got started. And apparently there was a promotional event, right? At a South Park Harris Teeter where they, they, and this happens all the time. They throw a couple of players, give out some t-shirts, you know, trying to do these community events or whatever. This happens with the Hornets now. So they go, so a couple of these Bobcats go out to a South Park Harris Teeter, including Brevin Knight to hand out t-shirts and bag other people's groceries. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, but there was a, there was a lady there that like berated Brevin Knight and said, we don't want you here. You can't even bag groceries. <sighs> I mean, that's the level of hatred and vitriol from the people in this city about the Bobcats. It, it was not good. Walker. You got to understand, man, what, what an, what an interesting and also just very weird time because people could not make sense of what their feelings were because mm-hmm. everybody was so angry that the Hornets left. They they mm-hmm. loved that team. Classic attendance always skyrocketed. Number one in the league for I forget however many years it was in a row, but it was a lot. And then they go dead last. The last every Hornets box score we did, David pointed out that I think they were, were they 29th out of 30 NBA teams in attendance in the last year that the right. Hornets were here. So at that point, it was ugly. 
everybody they refused to give George Shin money, which honestly it it makes sense. But you didn't realize. All right, it, it's the classic indifference is really the opposite of love it's not hate because the two are too closely tied together it's really indifference and yet we were not indifferent here we were so angry because we did beloved that team so much and we didn't want anybody new right like your your old dog died you weren't ready for a new dog yet you know and so the bobcats here's just this this new dog that you know it maybe not the purebred that you wanted and so you de- you deny it you you want it you want it gone you're not ready for it and like so they're just out here at grocery stores hurling insults to these players that that they didn't want to come play here either I imagine like these guys were picked in an expansion Brevin was yeah, yeah Brevin was right. an expansion draft pick right right so like what what a weird weird time <laughs> Brevin, that we Brevin was like lady I don't want to be here either you think oh, I want to be here Bring me back to Cleveland of all places. That was before LeBron. Yeah, like get, bring me. I, I might have been like the last year of LeBron, but regardless, bring me back to Cleveland of all places. I'm not trying to play here either. Well, Brevin was not only in Charlotte playing for the Bobcats, he was actually playing for his starting role heading into this season because they drafted their point guard of the future, Raymond Felton, out of the University of North Carolina with the fifth pick. They also had another first-round pick that they utilized on another national champion from the University of North Carolina, Sean May, who had to have knee surgery heading into this season. His availability was unknown. And then if, if that didn't do enough for you, someone robbed and shot at Melvin Eli um they during, really hated the bobcats <laughs> so i don't know that that had any so apparently yeah right. I mean, no, apparently I he was he was robbed so and and maybe there was some idea that he was a basketball player and mm-hmm. and you know uh would be uh or maybe not um so but he was robbed and shot at and so that was an issue heading into the season and then raymond felton the rookie was doing an event and promised that they would make the playoffs in year yeah, two of Ray, the franchise. You know, look, man, naive, right? Coming in. Champion. Just saying, He's a champion. This is what he does. He won. You know, I he had an illustrious career at, in South Carolina, too, playing in high school there, right? Just an awesome high school player. Goes to North Carolina. And after the Rocky start, they finally they win a championship in 05. Roy Williams, that was the second year for Roy Williams going back to Carolina. And yes, he was a Matt Doherty guy as far as the recruitment goes. But then that team was just so awesome, man. Like the freshman Marvin Williams, who gets drafted second overall, doesn't even start on that team. That's a Jackie Manuel starter. Um, or that's that's Jackie Manuel starting in place of him. And yet Sean May, Ray Felton, those guys get drafted. Jawad Williams even saw time in the NBA and would be one of the more underrated heels in my in my opinion, right? Like that that was the first rebirth after you know the Matt Doherty problems right like we finally had North Carolina basketball back and Michael Jordan wanted him a piece or two and and drafted Raymond Felton early probably had some say so there probably maybe a little and and then Sean May fell continued to fall I I I think he was projected to go earlier and then the Bobcats pick him up we know about Sean May doesn't well, really let's, do. Yeah, all you that know much. what? Let's yeah. well, let's take a look at this. So that would have been the 2004 NBA draft, right? Yeah. 
that would have that would have been no it would have been 05 so because okay. they won the championship in 05 and so right, it would have been right, right. that year yep so yeah, let's so, not but, let's not move off of anybody else like we yeah, did sorry yeah i don't want to i don't want to yeah i don't want to have to issue a correction where we kill an entire year's worth of people mm-hmm. so yeah raymond felton goes five and then sean may goes 13 right behind him rashad mccann so they pass right, on mccann's they go with may who else did they pass up they passed up on danny granger they passed up on gerald green uh, they the Bobcats would actually get Hakeem Ward very late, them, yeah. very late in the game. Uh, they passed on Nate Robinson. They well, passed, there's a Julius Hodge name in there that ACC fans. This was a huge ACC out, so, draft. Yeah. My goodness, I mean, you had you had the heyday. Uh, yeah, Julius Hodge had Jared Jack. It was a huge draft. Oh yeah, well that that was when the ACC had a firm grip on who clearly was the best conference, and you know because you had Wake Forest, those that was the Chris Paul, like Eric Williams, you know you had your Justin Gray still there, right? Like that that was an awesome Demon Deacons team. Not to mention the Tar Heels went to the championship. You still had Duke, of course, still an awesome team that had won the championship just a few years prior. So like yeah, like that that was ACC heyday. They were awesome. Also passed on Monta Ellis, who we'll talk about here in a minute because he's playing for this Golden State Warriors team and uh, it was was a contributing factor in this game. And then Lou Williams was 45th. Andre Blatch was 49th. And just tying this back to the Melvin Eli shooting, that ha- or, or he wasn't shot. It was He was shot at. But around the same time, Andre Blatch was actually shot in the chest and was recovering. I mean, it took him a while to recover and get back out on the floor. So there was this whole conversation when when the when the incident with uh, Melvin Eli took place about like they were talking to the team about like hey watch yourselves out there right um, it's 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 dangerous um, so interesting uh, Amir Johnson and Marcin Gortat going very late in this draft as well all right so that's the that's that's the situation around the Charlotte Hornets uh, they're coached by Bernie Bickerstaff GM is also Bernie Bickerstaff and something to note here and I think had a lot to do with where the Bobcats were, which was that Bernie Bickerstaff was coaching this team, but really didn't want to coach. I don't know why he was coaching Angie. He really wanted to be a general manager. And it's interesting because if you go back to the early Hornets, you had an opposite situation where they bring in Alan Bristow as a general manager who really wanted to coach. And so he started as general manager and then took, and then basically took the job for himself and got rid of Gene Littles and became the coach and was one of their more successful coaches. It sort of flipped on its head in this situation where you have somebody who's really wants to be the GM but has to coach the team, I guess, but doesn't really want to coach the team, and the team's terrible. Lots more on this Bobcats box score ahead, but first, I still feel like I need some help. I need some help setting the scene, painting the picture of what it was like to be a Charlotte Bobcats fan all the way back in 2006. So I've enlisted some expert help in the form of David A. Arnott. He was the founder of Rufus on Fire, the uh, what would become the SB Nation blog on the Charlotte Bobcats, what is now known as At The Hive. Uh, So David will join me in a few moments. I hope that David is the first of a series of expert interviews we will deliver on every Hornets box score. I also want to take this opportunity to remind you that you can support this show by signing up at our Substack, everyhornetsboxscore.com. You can sign up for free, uh, but do consider 
helping us monetarily by signing up for a premium subscription at the uh, monthly rate of $5 or the entire year at $50. What do you get? Well, you get the satisfaction that you are helping to create this content. I'll give you a shout out on the show and you'll get access to some of our premium features, including my game notes on every Hornets box score in this upcoming uh, NBA season. So that's neat. Uh, So consider helping us out, helping to create this content uh, that you've come to know and love. With that, let's head over to David and talk about what it was like to be a Charlotte Bobcats fan and write about the Charlotte Bobcats all the way back in the mid-aughts. My history, people who know me know that I was, my entire life, I've been a baseball guy. Like, I knew who all the 1987 San Francisco Giants and Chicago Cubs and St. Louis Cardinals were when I was in kindergarten, that sort of thing. Um, And when I was in college, I went to college in New York and was on a sports talk radio show. Anytime anyone wanted to talk about basketball, I tapped out. I was like, nope, not interested, (laughs) don't care. Um, I've never, I I went to school in New York and have never been to Madison Square Garden, put it that way. Like it was, it was just like a complete non-interest at that point. 2007, I did a job with Sporting News, which had then recently moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so I drove across the country, moved there, started working with them as a customer service agent, actually, and but was like pitching ideas as a, a to be a writer. And while I was there, I got to be friends with all the people in the office. And like just within weeks of us being there, basically, someone was saying, hey, why don't we try going to a Bobcats game? And I was like, fine, whatever. I've been to one NBA game in my life, which was actually a Sonics game. And so we go, and it was just, if you remember what that period was like in 2007, there were like 3,000 people there. There was... It had all gone, it had all, it didn't start great, but it had all gone really wrong by then. Yes, exactly. But the really cool thing about it was that it felt like if you found another Bobcats fan, mm-hmm. you you found you found your tribe, mm-hmm. and so what ended up happening was was that a few of us were like, when you're 24 years old, you start doing something ironically, and then it becomes real, sure. you know, and like that's kind of <laughs> what it, what it ended up being is like we were like, wait a second, Gerald Wallace is awesome. What are you saying about a Mecca Okafor? I'm not I'm not Matt. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I also, and then uh, I, I found a, I met a woman who is now my wife and it turned out that her dad used to work for the Hornets way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so like, she had apparently gone on like a cruise with Mudsy Bogues at one point, that wow. sort of thing. Um, so it ended up being one of those situations where I was living three blocks away from the arena. I, I wanted to go and I realized, Hey, I'm getting into this. It's 2007. It's 2008. What does one do when they're really big fan of sports? They start a blog. And so uh, <laughs> we were just, we were just like, all right, whatever. Let's just, uh, I'll just start, I'll just see what this, where this goes. And we were literally in our office in Sporting News, just talking for about 10 minutes about what should this name be? What should this blog name be? And I honestly don't remember who said it, but someone was like, it should be something about Rufus, the mascot, because we love Thanks. Rufus. And, and, and immediately it was as if like there was a melding of the brains coming down from on high, the roof is on fire. And everyone was like, <laughs> perfect, done, do it. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I, I feel like you and I are kindred spirits uh, because I started, I, I did the thing that you did 
but for people in 2013, which was start a podcast. <laughs> uh, and so we did that. And then, and then, uh, you know, roof is on fire. I got picked up by SB nation. We got picked up by locked on and, and the rest is history now. So you start, you started going to games in 2007 as you started to report on the team via this blog, did anyone fill you in or did you start to figure out like some of the backstory in terms of why there were only 3000 people and that like, you know, people weren't a big fan of the uptown arena, that kind of thing. Yeah. So one of the things that ended up as a general sports fan, I had done sports blogging before in general sense. Um, like uh, the way I described it was our, 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 our blog was called Sportzilla and the Jabberjocks. Great Simpsons reference. Um, and like we got linked on Deadspin a couple times and we felt mm -hmm. great. And I'd written, I'd actually written a song about Isaiah Thomas that people loved on a certain level. <laughs> um, and Again, the, the the early 2000s were wild, man. Right. But uh, but so I I had a vague idea of like, okay, this like it was really toxic at the end there for Charlotte, and yeah. then they gave him a new team, and everyone was still kind of like, okay, what's like, what are you trying to do here? Mm -hmm. And as I and as I started getting into the community and like reading a lot, I realized, you know, what, let's let's go see what the newspaper stories are like when the when when the team left and that's when i came across the whole george shin stuff that's right. when i started talking to my future father-in-law about like his feelings about the team and just as he's not a basketball fan but like his feelings as a longtime resident and everything and it became clear that like okay this is a unique situation this is not like a regular expansion team where everybody you know comes in and says like, Hey, we're excited to have something new because right. on top of that, when Charlotte first got their team, that was above and beyond what anybody had possibly expected, sure. you know, like selling out at such a huge arena for so many nights in a row. Like, so it, it, it became sort of, uh, I became very aware of how tragic all of that was. Mm -hmm. Like it really was kind of tragic that the team was in this city that had loved their basketball team so much and that they, they just for various reasons weren't as loved anymore and were in some ways, in some quarters uh, resented. Now you, you maybe more than anyone else have a, an idea, a memory of what that Bobcats community was like early on. What, what was the construction of that community? I mean, how many of them were f former first-run Hornets fans? How many of them were just new uh, basketball fans? How many of them were, like you described earlier, people who just, like, were fans of something ironically because it was uncool, because they were wearing orange and blue and racing stripes and all of the kitschy things that we now associate with the Bobcats? What, what would you say that makeup was like? So I would say that the vast majority of the people that I came in contact with were um, super casual, like in the world, I mean, were super casual, like, oh, there's a basketball team here. I guess that could be a thing to do. Like that's, and I think that that's true of most people, most fan bases. The trouble was, is that if you were going to be a Bobcats fan and make that a part of your identity, it almost felt like you had to be kind of like me, a transplant who didn't mm. have that history with the other team. Mm. Um, or you had to be somebody who was young enough that that wasn't really a thing. 
you know, or you had to have some sort of situation. Um, in many ways, it felt very odd to find someone who had been, who might have been, say, 35 or 40 years old at, in 2007 and who had loved those 90s Hornets and was a Bobcats fan because of how all, because of how everything had happened. So we had a significant number of people, I think, who were outside of the Charlotte Metro, and we had a significant number of very young people. And so that informed my feelings that, you know, like, this is an interesting setup, but it just needs time. It just needs time, and it needs to be maybe 20 years before people just say like, okay, well, it's been here, and now we, we can all be Bobcats fans without the previous packet. Just before we get to the actual game itself real quickly, you do have some sort of excitement. Like, I, I was a Bobcats fan, but I was young, right? Like, so we're talking about me barely being 10 years old here. Yeah. And, you know, I was like 10, 11, 12, something You're not like berating that. Brevin Knight and, and a Harris Teeter. No, not anywhere close. But there's excitement going in because now, okay, we have Emeka Okafor. Gerald Wallace is starting to show that he's something. You get Sean May and Ray Felton, who North Carolina particularly is going to be excited about. So at that point, okay, like let's rock and roll, man. At that point, too, you still had big guys that you could play multiple of, you know, Sean May and Emeka. Maybe they could share the floor in, in our, you know, maybe not our developed basketball minds at that time. But we started to get some talent and the future looked bright with a few of these first round picks on the roster. Okay. And then, of course, you win 17 games and we all know what happens to the Bobcats as the years go on. You know, Mecca continues to have the problems injury wise. Sean May doesn't do anything. Ray Felton was, you know, like a good, you know, had some good years, but. It wasn't enough to you know turn around the fortunes of the franchise well this really this second season really was cursed because uh you mentioned Emeka Okafor and the injury uh he missed over 50 games the this second season after winning rookie of the year and do you recall why he missed all of those games well I I knew there was I, I think there were some back issues for Emeka I don't know if it started this early but I I'm is there something different than the back issues so the this uh a particular story that I read was that he put he in in the off season he decided to put on weight to bulk up, and I don't know. Which if he this was, was already a freak. Like if you remember him in UConn, that dude was awesome and already just a brick mm-hmm. house out there. And so putting on weight, I, he needed to be taller almost before he needed to put on weight. But anyway, no, he, he no he wanted to because he was good. He was quick. You know, he, he yeah. was a quick jumper. Good. He just had a yeah. unique ability to block shots. But, you know, just in terms of his scoring ability to get down low and then really bust it up with some of the bigger centers in the league, his thought process, and I don't, I couldn't really track down if this was him thinking I need to bulk up and so I'm going to do that on my own, or if this was someone within the training staff of the Bobcats that advised him, hey, put on 15, 20 pounds and, you know, you you might raise your scoring average, you know, some, some number of points because, you know, you'll be able to really um, dust it up in there. But anyway, it really hampered him athletically and he had an ankle injury and he contributed not being able to recover well from that ankle injury and the, and some maybe some of the future back problems with that weight gain. So the Bobcats were cursed is what I'm saying. You have yeah. a rookie of the year, even though somebody else drafts Dwight Howard ahead of you. You have the rookie of the year. Emeka could have been somebody puts on decides to get fat <laughs> and loses everything that made him powerful. 
Well, the, the problem there, too, is that at least from what I just looked up, Emeka did have back surgery in college. And right. so this is somebody that's already athletic as far as the quick jumping ability goes. They list him at 6'10". Uh, he feels like one of those guys that might have been a little bit um, shorter at like 6'9", but had the ability to get up and block shots and was really a defensive menace. Interestingly enough, Doug, when we talk about the all-time misses on the opportunities the Bobcats could have had, we don't really talk about Dwight Howard all that much. And and it's, and it's because... It's because we didn't necessarily question the pick with a mech at the time. The dude was awesome. He had just come off a championship with UConn in 04, beating the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, Jared Jack and those guys. And and so we were ready for a mecca. But just in hindsight, so I'm not blaming the Bobcats. You, you didn't have a shot. You didn't get the number one overall pick. But it would have been nice to have a franchise start and also Dwight Howard going into his career, starting, coming in from high school. We're talking about a hall of famer in Dwight Howard who dominated that decade. And instead the Bobcats had a Mecca, not to his fault, but clearly a better basketball player, clearly a better career. Just one of the ones we don't talk about a whole lot where, okay. Yeah. Seven and 59, you get the second overall pick. That was bad, but also a starting franchise doesn't get the first overall pick and you're without Dwight Howard because of it. All right, I would like to issue an apology to all of the listeners and the viewers. This is called Every Hornets Box Score. We have been enamored with the cursing of this franchise. Yes. And we, you know what, in the first couple of episodes, we we have to set some tables, I think. We have to set some scenes. I agree. And I, but I think we've done that. Now, let's look at this box score, Walker. The Hornets win 104 to 101, one of their 17 victories to this point in the season. I think they would finish with 26 victories, 26 and 56, fourth in the NBA's Southeast Division. They were 27th uh, in strength of schedule, third in uh, third in pace. They actually uh, got up and down the floor uh, for relative to the rest of the NBA. 27th in offensive rating, 18th in defensive rating, 27th in net rating. Uh, so not very good team, uh, but let's look at this box score. So for Golden State, you had future Bobcat Jay Rich getting 37 minutes. He was 11 of 23 from the field for 27 points. Uh, let's see other notable. So I mentioned Monta Ellis, uh, 26 minutes off the bench for the rookie. 13 or for the yeah for the rookie, 13 points, five of eight, three of three from three. Uh, Monta Ellis showing you what he was capable of, and then another former Hornet. Uh, Baron Davis. Yeah. Off the bench. Three, you know, nine. yeah, just, just a couple of years before the, we believe team. So yeah, I mean, this is, if this is Oh six, right. So the rookie year of, of Ray Felton of Monte Ellis as well, like just a couple of years before they upset Dallas in, uh, in Oh eight. Yeah. So like you had a couple of these guys, you know, it, it's still, it, it, it was weird because Baron Davis was still on that team. And I wonder Doug, if you were to ask people who they most associate Baron with, it's a good question, Golden in my State. opinion. You Golden think State. it's Golden State over? I, I, I mean, State. I most I people now. A, yeah, I think probably because of that victory, though. Because of the you believe, know? because of the believe yeah. team, because of yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, he got an All Star appearance with Charlotte. He was awesome immediately coming into the NBA. He was very had, good. had Charlotte had Charlotte remained in Charlotte. Yeah, it, it would have been completely different. Yeah, but just an interesting one of those, right? Like, I think the all-time example of that, as far as how good you are to what team people associate you with, I think Ray Allen's probably the best answer because, you know, Bucks, he was awesome. Seattle for so long, 
wins a championship with the Celtics, shot with the Heat. Like Baron has his kind of moments, you know, also saw some time with the Clips too. Yeah, just something interesting about Diddy. Look at this gross double-double by Troy Murphy. Uh, 11 points, 14 rebounds, but on 5 of 17 shooting and minus 17 for the game. That is a gross double-double. How dare you, Troy Murphy? This is so my era. Can we go back real quickly? Like, I, I know this is what the you can tell me, Walker. Shut up. I haven't gotten to the Hornets. Oh, it's just crazy zoom in there. Sorry about that. Yeah. We haven't even got to the Hornets yet. We got to get to the Hornets. What do you, I what do you say, have on Troy Murphy? <laughs> just right. Just click on his stats for a second. When we talk about players way ahead of their time, this is a prime example. 6'10 Troy Murphy. Please look at some of his three point shooting percentages that he put up throughout his career at 6'10. 39 for his career gets traded to the Pacers in a Steven Jackson trade, by the way. So this was Steven Jackson going to Golden State, Al Harrington going that way, Dunleavy, Troy Murphy, they go to Indiana. And that's kind of like the second era. That's that's a new era of Pacers basketball. But Troy Murphy, I mean, an awesome rebounder and also an awesome three point shooter. Just like one of those guys that we talk about, hey, you know, w- was he in the wrong era? Hell yeah, for Murphy, man. Positive defensive box, uh, plus minus two. Just shout to Troy. Like, pretty decent player. All right, there you go. All right, let's go over to the Charlotte Bobcats, finally. Brevin Knight getting the start at points, but he's alongside Raymond Felton, who also is in the starting lineup. So they, they don't really make a call there. They decide, all right, we're going to play the rookie, uh, but we're also going to play Brevin Knight. Uh, Brevin gets 42 minutes. He's 5 of 11 for 14 points. Gerald Wallace, 5 of 10, 7 of 10 from the line. That's all Wallace there, baby. 17 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 5 steals, 4 blocks. Holy for a holies. He was all over this. Bo- I mean, I think right now I'm ready to give him. I, man, it's going to be tough because then you have Jermaine Jones. I want to say give it, give him the do it in the box score because of because the five steals and the four blocks. But Jermaine Jones has 29 points and six rebounds in this game. If, if you're setting yourself up to avoid Gerald Wallace Bobcat fatigue, then the idea is to go ahead and give this award to Jermaine Jones. But I will say, Gerald, I mean, just even even with our infatuation for him, even if you were a Bobcat fan, he clearly is the best Bobcat of all time. He's a top 10 Charlotte basketball franchise guy of all time. I think he's one of four players ever to average more than two steals and two blocks for an entire season. Like he and Draymond, there might be two other players there, maybe Hakeem is involved there but like Gerald Wallace that that's an outstanding defensive season and would get first team all NBA uh, first team all defense in his career but like yeah Jermaine this is the only year that people are going to be talking about Jermaine we averaged over 10 points and then and then had one more year in the league and then was out Mm -hmm. so this is one shining moment speaking of college college stars you know um I do have a Jermaine segment. It's not going to be very long. Can I go into my Jermaine thing? Uh, yeah, give it to me. Five of ten from three. I mean, this was this would yep. have been this this is a game that would have fit perfectly in the modern era. Okay, so this this is my one rabbit hole that I took responsibility over because we're going to have our Gerald Wallace's and Felton's of of future Bobcats episodes. So I call it the Jermaine event, Doug. <laughs> On December 30th, 1999, okay? December 30th, uh-huh. 1999. All right. Jermaine Jones made a three-point shot with three seconds left on the clock against the Trailblazers in Portland while he was playing for Philadelphia at the time. Okay. Why is that important? I'll I tell you. Know, yeah, they would lose 108 to 90. The okay. bucket didn't mean anything as far as winning and losing, but 
that game would be the game that finished later than any other contest that year. And there would be no games on December 31st, which means Jermaine Jones scored the last bucket of the 1990s. Wow. No, no, no. Or if you'd like, scored the last bucket ever in the NBA of the the 1900s (laughs) (laughs) of the century. Jermaine Jones ever last one. And nobody can ever take that away from him. So the Jermaine event, hilarious. And the last little thing on this, you know, we are huge fans of the Levitard show just for bleeps and giggles. I looked at who made the first bucket ever in the NBA to start the millennium. Mm -hmm. John Amici. How about the Meech? Yeah. The Meech scored the first basket of the millennium against the Heat and the only NBA game played on January 2nd. And then you'd have everybody else come in and play January 3rd. But how about that? The Meech coming in strong. Jermaine Jones, last bucket getter of the 1990s. How about that? Crazy. Uh, Well, we've talked a lot about Raymond Felton on this show. And uh, he only gets 27 minutes in this game. And you might be wondering, well, why did he get only 27 minutes in this game. I mean, they're they're playing the rookie. They're featuring the rookies, a big part of this season. Only scored eight points, had four assists. What's going on there? Well, I looked this up uh, thanks to the the archives of the Charlotte Observer. And apparently he left the game uh, sometime during the beginning of the second half due to abdominal pain. So then I dug a little deeper and tried to figure out what's (laughs) what's behind that injury, abdominal pain. Well, apparently... And this just goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of this episode, that the Bobcats were cursed. Raymond Felton left with abdominal pain stemming from a car accident that he was in over All-Star break. A 24-year-old drunk driver, uh, maybe drunk, I don't know. It said driving while impaired, so I won't assume that it was drunk. But an impaired driver rear-ended Raymond Felton's car while he was vacationing Uh, This person was from Myrtle Beach. I'm not sure where he was vacationing, if it was Myrtle Beach or not. But he sustained whiplash and complained of a sore back. And we all know that Raymond Felton had a little bit of an injury history the rest of his career. How much of that stemmed from that accident uh, probably would be a great question for him. Mm -hmm. But that just shows you, again, their prized rookie champion was hurt in a car accident. And uh, th- they were You're cursed. further giving evidence to the whole cursed mantra here that that this happened absolutely with, cursed. with Raymond Felton. They br- look, they brought a lot. You know, there were some decisions by this front office that were dumbfounding, bad coaching, uh, bad players. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons <laughs> that the Bobcats didn't achieve what what they needed to achieve in the early portion of their franchise. Uh, and, and it's tough for any franchise. I mean, it took the it took the Hornets uh, four seasons to get into the playoffs. So like every, every franchise is going to struggle somewhat, but they, they particularly struggled and, uh, were the victims of some very cursed like luck. They were, um, I mean, yeah, this is, I mean, this is going to be the whole theme. Ooh, Lonnie Baxter was, game. uh, he didn't dress in this game, but again, another ACC name, Lonnie Baxter. A champion <laughs> in 2002 with Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, Chris they Wilcox. They loved champions. That part, again, some of the myth stuff that we talk about with, with Jordan, you know, that he only likes champions. So much of it, I think, was rooted in the Bobcats. It really has nothing to do with how things operate now, mm-hmm. um, but... They love champions. Well, the, well, the Tar Heel thing too. Like, so that comes from 
this draft. Yeah, it comes because, from yeah, May felt. Because you know, really they, they draft Wildcats. They draft Kentucky players. The, the Kentucky thing is, is more so what it should be. But they don't help themselves either when they draft Brandon Wright. But then remember, they trade him for Jason Richardson. And Jason Richardson comes over, has just a bomb year, really like a little bit more so with the Bobcats at that point. And Brandon Wright, like, so they draft him. Narrative already said it doesn't matter that they traded him to Golden State. And after that, you know, it's it's maybe some ACC players. You know, they drafted Gerald Henderson. Um, and then it's more Kentucky. But this was the draft that really put that narrative into effect. Oh, Michael Jordan, Carolina Blue Mafia shows up once again. Yes, Hiring Mitch Kupchak and Buzz Peterson probably doesn't help you being former Tar Heels as well. So if you wanted to do the higher thing, that's fine. And it makes some sense and you have some evidence. But as far as the drafting players thing, they kind of stay away from that now. Uh, it doesn't ring as true. Donald Foyle has a really amazing. Colgate pride. Yeah, I mean, really. So he plays for Golden State. He was the center. But has a, if you look at he was with Golden State for almost 10 years and well, 10 seasons. Yeah. So 10 seasons, almost 10 years. And he doesn't average more than six <laughs> points in any of those seasons. Now he does average a ton of block shots. So that's obviously why they had foil around. And he was, uh, I was looking on his Wikipedia page because that's what I do when I research this show. I just kind of go all over the place. Foil, an amazing humanitarian, just a great human being has set up a, uh, a lot of organizations around the world that have benefited a lot of people. Um, but in terms of his on-court play, I mean, it's a, it's amazing that he never once eclipsed six points per game per season, yet stayed in the league and, and played a tremendous number of games and started a ton of games just because obviously he was a defensive asset. Yeah, I mean, he is the Nick Collison for Golden State. He is the guy that stayed around despite not being this heavy offensive contributor. He is the Jeff Foster like he was for Indiana. I didn't realize it until you pointed it out. So thank you for that. But that is the role Donald, of Donald, uh, Donald Foyle. Donald Foyle gets the, uh, I mean, maybe it should be the Donald Foyle Award, the Foyle Award for just a player who. No one can take that from Collison. I think he has his jersey retired. Really? Really? I think. Yeah, Collison and Collison, away. I'll look this up, but I think Collison never averaged more than like seven points a game, something like that. But yes, yes, I mean, he he is in the Nick Collison Hall of Fame. I got to see who's on the assistant staff of the Bobcats before we get out of here. So Bernie Bickerstaff's staff is Joe Sharp, uh, remained the trainer for a, a long time. Um, J.B. Bickerstaff, again, nepotism was a big part mm -hmm. of the – it kind of still is a little bit part of the Hornets organization, but it was very oh, yeah. much a part of the, the Bobcats organization. But J.B. on the staff um, now coaches the Cavaliers. That's right. right. Yeah, that's Gary right. Gary Brokaw, Jeff Capel, uh, again, ACC. Well, now, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh coach, and you know, obviously was with Duke, Coach Blake Griffin at Oklahoma. So, yeah, decorated guy there. Gary Kloppenberg. And John Outlaw. There you go. Let's see. I'll let you inform him on those guys. I don't know anything. I would have to, yeah, I would have to click all. in to find out about old Gary, Gary Kloppenberg. Uh, right. Just for your, was a an assistant coach from 2004 until 2007, which uh, right. I think is when Bernie Bickerstaff exited. Um, there you go. Well, uh, I think that's. Oh, I got to do my extremely classic uh, basketball player of the week, and that's going to go to uh, one of the 1920s best set shooters the one the only soup oh, campbell soup. 
Soup Campbell was one of pro basketball's top offensive stars in the early 1920s. Campbell was a fine set shooter, but speed and agility were the keys to his game. He was considered one of the best of the two-handed dribblers of the era. He led the, the Camden two. Skeeters and to the Eastern dribbler. League Championship. Yeah. <laughs> Skeeter legend James Francis Campbell, otherwise known as Soup Campbell. That's your extremely classic pro basketball player of the podcast. Can I say one other thing too? Just kind of looking at some of these names. It's it's obviously this whole podcast is kind of based off of nostalgia. Well, um, the Bobcat. I think the Bobcat segments in in general are going to be a lot of us clicking around into names like Keith Bogans. Well, so you. That's funny. You bring him up, and that's the name that kind of led me to this point. Here we go. We get excited about Lonnie Baxter, Sean May, Raymond Felton, Emeka Okafor, college mm-hmm. stars, winning championships. Mm-hmm. Keith mm-hmm. Bogans was a stud with Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny how we remember these guys more so for their college careers, more so than their NBA careers. And that just goes to lead into the one and done era, which has helped. Like, I think one and done it. You know, if Zion Williamson goes to the NBA, this is a different tangent, but that that's not good for college basketball, right? The fact that he went to Duke, continued to get that exposure. You know, we talk about him and college basketball gets more attention. My point being, though, is like these guys would stay for a while and then they would build their names and build their brands through these D1 college programs where you would see them back when college basketball was very high on everybody's agenda. And so that's how you remember these names more so than their NBA careers. And it's just funny, I, I would bet if you looked at random rosters, you know, from 2015 on, you know, maybe probably not even that far, you are absolutely remembering them more so for their NBA careers, even the guys that were out of the league. So, yeah, it's just just interesting. Like, I think of these guys more so as the college basketball players, part because they never made it in the association, but partly because they stayed and, and were awesome in college for more than just the one season. All right, I have to do it. I have to do the Count Von Count on Keith Bogan's number of number of teams he was a part of. His career length is 11 years. Let's do it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Actually, nine, because Orlando twice. Nine franchises. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Who did, um, didn't the Bob, the Bobcats, or excuse me, the Hornets got a guy that set a record for NBA teams played for. Did, did that just happen this year? Am I mistaken about that? Well, Ish or Smith. Is ish, ish yeah. yeah. Okay, that was, fish, I was about Otherwise to say. known as Fish Smith, yeah. Right. Otherwise, yes. If you are an aquatic person, then Fish Smith might ring a bell to you. But yeah, Ish Smith and Keith. It's funny that Keith Bogans is similar. It seems close to that. Uh, all right, so that's the 2006 Bobcats. They uh, get the win over the Golden State Warriors. 104 to 101. Tune in next week. Uh, when we dive into the death of the Bobcats era, the fourth era, can't wait to get to that. Uh, we might hit the Bobcats. We might hit some early Hornets because I think they're included. Those uh, those two early second run of the Hornets are included in that as well. Uh, so Walker, thank you for joining me as always. We'll get back and do this again. Go Bobcats. Yeah, well, we need to talk more about just your fandom in general. I think we... We missed that and just the curse of the Bobcats discussion because your your Bobcats fandom interests me because mm-hmm. I was not a fan. So you you are my window into just the pure kid fandom of a team that I abandoned for college basketball. We, we have 80 games for a decade, so I'm sure we can find some time to get to it. <laughs>